Welcome to the ITSP Magazine Podcast Network. You are about to listen to the Loops and Life Cycles Podcast with Josh Mason. When you hear a new idea, do you wonder, can I put this into practice and what I'm doing? Join Josh Mason and guests as they dig into concepts from multiple disciplines to find ways to improve our business, our security, and our lives. Enjoy this episode, and remember that knowledge is power, now more than ever. Welcome to Loops and Life Cycles. This is Josh Mason. Today, I've got with me a good friend and mentor, Philip Wiley, who's known for his speaking, his book, and just for being an overall great guy in the network and web app pen testing space nowadays, but with quite a varied background. Philip, if you could say hi to everyone. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show, and hello to everyone. It's an honor to be on your new podcast. Thanks, Philip. Truth be told, it's an honor for me. I've been listening to your podcast for a while and gotten a lot from our the mentorship that you've given me, sir. The reason I was thinking, other than I just love talking to you, the reason I was thinking of having you on the podcast here is I'm focusing on the DevOps life cycle and a little bit of how that actually fits into other parts of life and society. If you could, how do you see pen testing, web app pen testing, I think of mostly with the DevOps life cycle? Sure. One of the things I've done in the past is in my consulting days, I did a secure software development life cycle uh, review for a company and it's things have evolved to the cloud with the DevOps type of method people are using these days, but a lot of the things are similar. But one of the things I think that kind of gets overlooked sometimes with getting into DevOps and application is I do think that this may not be the you know main topic of this conversation, but I think one of the things we need to make sure we don't overlook is testing the infrastructure because you can have a very secure application, but if the foundation is not secure, someone can get in. That's like having a really secure front door, but maybe the garage door is not secure. You totally forget about that. So you need to make sure that the whole infrastructure is secure. And I think one of the things that you have to do is making sure that penetration testing is included in your life cycle, as well as some vulnerability scanning built in, you know, previously people were just doing testing as an afterthought, but now since things have evolved, people are testing through the life cycle and then performing pen tests, like on major changes to an application. So I think it's really good to have that kind of built into your process. And I've experienced that with a company where I was mm-hmm. leading the red team and we outsourced our web app pen testing and we had some st- AppSec folks in-house. But one of the things that we really learned lesson-wise there is when you really have that built into your culture, that security is part of the development life cycle, then usually people that are involved in the development piece and the business units will usually play well and make sure that those steps are being included. In cultures that you don't have that, a lot of times it's overlooked. It's really hard to make that a habit and get people to comply. 
Man, yeah, you hit on <laughs> all the same thoughts that I was having. That if you don't have your internals, if you've got those other pieces of the pie that aren't fit together correctly, then you're going to end up with problems, not just in your app, but overall. And then tying that directly to the culture of the company and everyone having that security mindset while they're developing is so crucial. So crucial. Do you find is that something you've seen a lot? Is it a struggle? Do you think it's something that as an industry folks are moving towards? I think people are moving towards it. I think some cases it's still a struggle. I know in some organizations, that I've had experience with that maybe you're doing pen testing in re- as a requirement for PCI. And mm-hmm. some cases, the business units or some of the people on development side or project managers really want to get this done quick as possible. And sometimes they don't really look at the overall picture. We need to make sure it's secure. So we really need to get buy-in. I think really education goes a long ways, just showing them, helping them understand the process and let them know, the uh, repercussions if you don't make sure you're not doing these pen tests, you're not securing things properly. What happens if the bad guy gets in? And that's mm-hmm. the main reason we're doing the pen testing. We're wanting to see what a threat actor could possibly do and trying to mitigate against those. Yeah, exactly. Do you find that you have to do some of that translation when you're working with the client, with the customer in your pen tests? Do you, try to do that up front or during the process or in the report? How do you find it's, it's best to try to work that in? Sure. I'd say just from a pen test to pen test basis, mm-hmm. or even with an organization, if you're building out a program is to have the end user or the customer involved from the beginning, mm-hmm. let them know that you're on the same team, that you're trying to help each other out. Because some cases developers feel like, that the pen tester is trying to make them look bad. And that's not really the case We're mm-hmm. we're working together. So you want to set those expectations starting out, letting them know you're a team and communicate things in an understandable language and not use all the jargon. Try to put yourself in th- their shoes. And one good way to, to look at is if you look at sales and business, us as techies, we hear some of these, these terms the first time it's like another language and same thing with mm-hmm. if you're dealing with developers even sometimes the business groups or just some of the business analysts that are involved in some of these softwares we need to make sure that we're communicating to with them in a way they can understand and then that's going to be even more critical when you're dealing with people that are less technical make sure you're explaining that in terms they can understand Maybe even do some education sessions where you discuss pen testing, different types of assessments that are performed, help them mm-hmm. understand it. I was in an organization once where people, even in security, didn't know the difference between a vulnerability scan, a pen test, mm-hmm. a red team operation. And so they really know the difference, even a vulnerability scan. So they didn't know the difference between these items. And once it was explained and provided them some documentation, they understood mm-hmm. and it was easier to communicate. Oh yeah. Oh, we had someone reach out to us recently in a similar spot. They said, we need a red team assessment. And what they were looking for was a pen test, but initially it was okay. We want to make the RFP or the 
statement of work fit what you're expecting. And in those details, we we had to do a little bit of that. This is what red teaming is. This is what pen testing is. Like, how deep do you want us to go? And how do you want it? Like, what is the scope? Are we going after the whole organization? Do you want us to play like an actor? I, mean, I, I imagine you, you run in that often, no? Yeah. One of the things, too, that's one of my big pet peeves in the industry is the generalization of calling it red team and calling a pen test. It's just because over the years, you got the blue team, which are the, is the defenders, but the same mm-hmm. even with the defenders, they're not all doing the same thing. It's different. And so when I refer to a generalized term for pen testing, red teaming, I like to mm-hmm. use it offensive security because that mm-hmm. easily fits in pen testing and red teaming and all the different various types of activities that fall under offensive security. But yeah, there's a lot of confusion in the, in the industry because I, when I worked at the company's red team lead, he really, the, one of my directors, he needed, we needed a application pen test done on some SAP apps mm-hmm. and it needed to be a pen test, but he requested like a red team operation. And you're not going to red team an SAP app because you're going to be in pen testing. You do use some adversary type techniques, mm-hmm. but you're just really trying to uncover all the vulnerabilities. But yeah, just that generalization or just the misconception of red teaming being the same thing. And that's why anytime I talk to someone and if you're talking to a consulting company, the guys you work for, I know they know Mm -hmm. this well enough and they've experienced that enough that you make sure you communicate that with the customer to let them know, are you wanting adversary emulation or a penetration test? Do you want to find all the vulnerabilities? Are you trying to emulate a threat actor? And there's really value to both of those really a mature organization is ready for red team operation. Someone that's not very mature in their vulnerability management program and their pen testing is not really quite ready for a red team yet. Red, mm-hmm. red teaming. So pen testing for the listeners, pen testing, you're trying to find all the vulnerabilities that are exploitable, try to exploit them, see what you can do post exploitation, what else you can do once you gain that access. Whereas with a red team operation, you're emulating a threat actor, you're finding maybe one way in, maybe a second way in to maintain access. You're leveraging heavily on social engineering mm-hmm. and sometimes some physical security assessments in that. But mm-hmm. with a pen test, you're just mainly focusing on trying to vulner- to look for the vulnerabilities. They're both limited in time. In a red team operation, sometimes you've got a lot more time, but you're just focusing on these certain items and goals within that. And you definitely want to make sure you're doing pen testing once your organization is mature, adding in uh, red teaming because maybe everything's really secure. You've been going through your pen test, you've been remediating things, but if someone is able to get access to a computer that's logged in as an administrator, it doesn't matter. You could have the best in class endpoint detection and all that. And someone gets access, domain access or whatever. You don't have to be that great of a hacker if you can just get access. So Sometimes okay. people overlook that. That's a great clarification. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, it, it has me wondering, do you have something that's your favorite? Do you like doing web apps or infrastructure or are red team engagements your favorite? I know you just had David Moses on your podcast. And I totally forgot about that until you mentioned it. And yeah. they both have separate uh, things that they focus on and that they prefer. I'm curious what yours is. 
It's interesting because over the years, I really liked the infrastructure pen testing more, but I've gotten in mm -hmm. recent years more interested in the web app pen testing piece. It's just so much, it's so much different from time to time. Sometimes doing infrastructure pen tests, it stays pretty similar. I've done some red teaming, some adversary emulation, but really not as much as I would have liked to. So that's an interesting area. And I think for anyone mm -hmm. that's looking for those type of roles, see what interests you and it doesn't, and you don't have to, you're not locked into this one type of thing. The, the skills are going to help you in other areas. Mm -hmm. And I see, even if you're an infrastructure pen tester, it behooves you to learn web app pen testing because a lot, a lot of cases you may get into an environment that you can't get a foothold in, but maybe you can through a web app vulnerability because a lot of these consoles that manages some of your security products run on like Java servers, mm -hmm. Apache Tomcat or Red Hat JBoss. And so sometimes you're able to exploit one of those. You get access to, uh, you, sometimes you can upload a, a malicious war file, which creates a uh, malicious Java uh, application. And sometimes yeah. you can get command line access, take control of the system doing that. So these are some areas and and a lot of the reasons that you need to thoroughly test like infrastructure, because if you're just focusing on an app and you're not focusing on some of these other areas that could be using like these Java servers, you're missing out on some possible vulnerabilities that could be exploited by a threat actor. It's very true. Do you find more of the web app ties back to helping during a an internal, if you will, an infrastructure or the other way around. I've seen some of the web pen tests that our folks have been doing. They end up pivoting into a cloud pen test. Or if we also get in the dev environment, then all of a sudden we're looking at the servers and we find more like you, you're pointing out more than just the app that they're showing. Maybe they're running some other things on there so that if someone got access to the dev environment, now would they know more about the internal? Is it, have you seen a lot of that? Like where maybe a web turns more into a cloud or turns more into an infrastructure than you were expecting? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Some cases it does. And that's mainly, I would say mainly from the internal. And that's one of the things mm -hmm. that you have to be careful when you're scoping the things and people that are wanting a pen test performed. Sometimes your scope, you may need to expand a little more because sometimes some lost opportunities. I was performing a pen test back in 2014. I found a SQL injection vulnerability. They mm -hmm. had XP command shell enabled, which get, allows you to get command line access to mm -hmm. the Microsoft SQL server. I got command line access, but due to the scope, I couldn't go past that. So that's some of the reasons sometimes you want to include some infrastructure pen testing too. If this would have been infrastructure pen test also, then I could have tried to see what I could go past the server because I was able to dump the password hash. And back in 2014, Hashcat was around, but I just really hadn't used it much. But I used John the Ripper mm -hmm. and cracked the password hash in 30 seconds. And it was password, all lowercase, and the number one. So odds are, if this would have been a larger scope pen test, I possibly and probably would have got access to other servers in that environment. But the sad thing was, and the frustrating thing, they filed a risk acceptance because it was a dev server. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's one of those. All of a sudden, someone realizes, hey, the dev server could be the backup, sets up the firewall wrong, and now you've got that leak everywhere. 
or yeah, and is it found segmented that injection? Yeah, it, or is it segmented for the rest of the network? Odds are, I guarantee you, there were other servers on that subnet that mm-hmm. I possibly could have could have actually end up hacking into one of those, and they may have not been dev. It was probably production, and dev was probably all on the same subnet. Yeah, I wouldn't be terribly surprised. And back in 2014, people weren't in AWS, Azure. So yep. they might have been self-hosting and that could have been messy. Yep. Man. How have you seen the evolution of pen testing and kind of cybersecurity? Do you feel like we're maturing in a thoughtful way or is it everyone's as the technology evolves, people are just trying to catch up. What's your take? I know you're, I'd say you're an industry leader for cybersecurity. One of the things I'd say is people have caught on to the need. And one of the things that's helped the need is, is compliance pen testing. When people have to do it, they're going to do it. A lot of cases, mm. security budgets are so tight, people aren't going to do things they don't have to. And, and that's a mistake. So I think it's catching on. People realize, but I still think there's some more education that needs to, to happen in the industry because one of the things I see, in my opinion, offensive mm-hmm. security is probably one of the least understood areas of cybersecurity because you take a lot of these people, you figure there's a lot more jobs on the blue team side than there are the offensive side. So there's more people with the defensive experience over the offensive experience. So I just think a lot of it requires some education going back to we're talking about earlier where some people don't know the difference between a red team, red teaming or a pen test or a vulnerability scan is making sure the education is there. Things are really getting on the right path. There's a lot of great people out there offering AppSec training, just like Tanya Janka. Mm. She hacks purple. She has yeah. some really good content out there. So there's getting to be a lot more good stuff on how to defend against it, how to, to do a uh, good, application security. So things are maturing and getting better as a whole. Nice. Thank you for that perspective. It's always something that I'm wondering about. Like we look at clients, industries, organizations, and how are they maturing as they're starting to get security going across their enterprise. And I can't help but reflect on how are we as an industry maturing? Um, are we at a, a CMMI level two or three just as the security industry? That's what I wonder about. And I know there's, you've been very vocal the past few years, educating people on how to get in, what all this means. Do you think that there's more space for that, more need for that? Yeah, I believe so. And and when you mentioned the difference between like the enterprises evolving versus the industry, I think mm-hmm. the industry is still a little bit ahead, a little bit ahead. There are some enterprises that are up to date on the latest technologies. They're doing a really good job. Some cases it's some companies are limited on budget. They can't do these things. They can't mm-hmm. hire the talent that some of these bigger organizations do, but I think it's improving there, but I think more like the industry is people trying to trying to catch up with what's going on, the trends there. And yeah, that's my thoughts. That makes sense. I can't help but try to connect things in my mind. It's how I make sense of all of it. And when I think of 
my background flying, how we determined if planes are safe or not. Obviously, you engineer them, you build them, but then they have to be tested. And you, no kidding, they build some planes and then just start lifting up the wings to see. We know it's supposed to break at this point. Let's try it out. It, to me, it, I think of it as QA. It's QA testing. It's what we should be doing with AppSec. But I don't know if we think take things to the same severity as we do for safety. And is there something similar to that testing where pen testing in the rest of sorry, I started thinking, how can we kind of take the pen testing approach to other things in life to help find ways that we can improve? Do you find yourself ever wondering like things like that? If there's a hole here, how could that be exploited? And can we make this process better overall? For example, I was at an AT&T store earlier getting a, a SIM card for data and just seeing how things were laid out. I was like, this is creating issues. Obviously, they set things up for one reason or another, but coming in with that different mindset of kind of a, a pen tester, like, I know this is working, but what would break it? Do you find yourself ever having that sort of mindset as well? Yeah. And I think one of the ways that people can address some of this, because you hear a threat modeling and people would do threat models against certain environments they're going to assess. And the more complex the environment is or more less understood than you, it's really important to do the threat modeling. When you're doing a web app pen test, people know the different type of threat vectors. So a lot of cases it's not threat model, mm -hmm. but I think one area for opportunity is threat modeling an organization as a whole. Look at the physical locations, how people access data centers, maybe factories, R&D departments where this data is being held and just think of threat modeling that. And I think that would be a better way for you to assess the security and learn how to secure things once you figure out how, what affects it. And some of those are in the environmental items. Like for instance, when I worked for a bank, I sat in one time when a consulting company, we outsourced our ATM pen tests. And it was really interesting to do the threat model on that because some of the things environmentally that you would take into consideration, if the ATM is within a building with a camera on it, the bank lobby, the, just the little section where you can go in and access the ATM, it's usually mm -hmm. more, a little more secure because you got security guards going by. There's traffic from pedestrians passing the location, but you take that same ATM and you put it out at a gas station out in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. It's maybe minutes away from police being dispatched to try to apprehend anyone trying to get in that machine compared to in the city with the cameras and all this. So you have to take some of those things in consideration, the environment and the type of attacks, what it's connected to. Same thing when you're looking at an internal environment, an air-gapped environment versus something exposed to the internet, mm -hmm. you take in consideration the type of threat actors, the environment, the opportunity, and take all those into consideration when you're designing these things, because a lot of times physical security gets overlooked so much with the social engineering stuff. People do these phishing campaigns and sometimes they don't do actual social engineering. A lot of mm. these apps are good. And I'm not saying don't use them, but 
the little campaigns that you routinely send out that checks to see if people clicks on things really isn't going to tell you what happened if someone clicks on it. What happens if there's malware in that attachment? What are you going to be able to do from there? You need to be able to test that. So in those type of cases that you need to be doing some actual phishing campaigns and not just the apps that send out the email that just track the clicks. You need to see what's going on if someone clicks it. Try to put things in place to protect against it. There's some good software packages for email out there that if you click on something, it's not going to let you go somewhere. It sets mm-hmm. there and checks all these URLs. And so it provides a layer of security. So I think just overall, we need to be looking at all those things, doing a threat model and just t- testing everything. Another thing to think about too is like software mm-hmm. QA. So anyone that's into application security, Dev, DevSecOps is also think about software Q&A, you're looking for flaws in the software, what would can cause it not to work or whatever, and also mm-hmm. apply that to your security. Man, yeah. They all tie together real nicely. What yes. would break the web app? What would break our physical security? Having that same mindset in all different sections and threat modeling through it, kind of solutions architecting, from the beginning, it's quite crucial. That's exactly what I'm hoping people begin to do more and more often. A lot of the the recommendations out of some of our pen tests have been, are you guys doing threat modeling? And some developers that are I've talked to weren't even sure what threat modeling would look like for what they're building. And I've talked to some college grads and I'm sure you've talked to plenty as well. Threat modeling isn't really something that's taught during computer science classes. It's can you build something? Can you follow the rubric and can you make the, the thing on the screen dance the way the professor wants you to, but not necessarily, okay, is it secure? Where are the keys? What are the passwords? What are the requirements? And like, how might someone destroy this? I'd love to see some threat modeling thrown into some of those uh, curriculums. As yeah, that I'm would sure be good, would especially, especially when you see they should have them bachelor's degree, especially when you get into these master level mm-hmm. security degrees, definitely should have something like that. Agreed. We should talk to some people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Follow up from this. <laughs> Let's yeah. go reach out to the people. That, and the same thing with that, what the threat modeling also does, you're finding the threat vectors, the probability and all this what mm-hmm. it also does is it helps you prioritize what needs the most attention. So that kind of from the threat modeling, you see what's more critical to focus on. So if you're limited budget, you need to focus on this here first. Oh yeah. Something I got introduced to along those lines is technical debt. And I always thought of technical debt as you've got people with, you've got a windows XP machine or you've got server 2003 because that's what things were built on and no one's been able to update it. But in the web app side, some technical debt just being that we pulled code over and it has bugs inherent in it. And as we go through QA testing or as pen testers find things, now you don't only have to add features or streamline the app, all of the normal development CICD type stuff, but you also have to go back and fix the issues that the pen testers or that QA found. And just that idea of 
if you can prevent technical debt by thinking these things through beforehand, by planning a little better, and that includes the threat modeling, then you end up getting to your final better product faster. Yeah. And you brought up a good point too, when you mentioned bringing over this app to another system, installing mm-hmm. another thing too, with the reason for infrastructure, even when people are doing a web app pen test is to do some network vulnerability scanning and some port and service scans. Because sometimes when people build these apps, maybe it's an upgrade, maybe that they're running like Apache Tomcat now before maybe they're running IIS Mm-hmm. And it could be just a matter of, okay, they were doing a pilot on these apps and they decided to go to this other version. They didn't remove what you should. If you're not going to use IIS or some other software, you should remove it because it does, a lot of cases it may get missed on patches and you're just having unnecessary vulnerabilities there. So some cases things either get decommissioned or they were piloting a certain version of the app or another app and they didn't mm-hmm. take that out of commission. So sometimes oh, these are or some opportunities for a threat actor to come in your app server that you got the application running on may be working great, maybe secure, but some of those other softwares running on there may not be. Yeah. We're at time, but man, that last one really, it got me thinking of a story. There's things in the air force where people pitch something and they're like, do you like this? Should we continue developing it? And they're like, we like that perfectly. Just make us 10,000 of them. And you're like, well, no, this is, <laughs> they're like, yeah, here's the money. Make it happen now. <laughs> and I can just imagine how many apps there are that had the same thing happen where, Hey, we tested the thing. How's it look boss? And, and CEO's like, okay, we got to get this to market now. <laughs> and everyone yeah. else is like, okay. <laughs> 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 Man, this has been great philip we i'm definitely gonna bug you later so that we can chat some more sure and uh, where can people find you i know you're at all the things these days yeah link linkedin and twitter and of course my new podcast philip wiley show which can be found at philipwileyshow.com it's available on youtube spotify youtube and video youtube and spotify in video format all the other platforms on audio even iHeartMedia and Pandora. Excellent. And is it also uh, Philip Wiley show on YouTube? Uh, yes. Yep. Okay. Excellent. I got a play, play, playlist under my podcast channel, which is just at Philip Wiley. And so under there, there's a playlist which for, for podcasts that it's under there. So Perfect. Thanks. And if nothing else, I hope to see you next month in Vegas. Yeah, thanks. Look forward to seeing you been a while and i look forward to catching up in person thanks philip thank Thank you. you all for listening and join us next time on loops and life cycles we hope you enjoyed this episode of loops and life cycles podcast with josh mason part of the itsp magazine podcast network if you learned something new in this conversation made you think then add this show to your favorite podcast player Subscribe to the ITSP Magazine YouTube channel and share the ITSP Magazine podcast network with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to connect your brand to our conversations and our audience, visit ITSPMagazine.com to learn how to sponsor one or more of our shows. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey 